Turn with me to 1 Samuel. I was going to teach on something different, but then worship kind of changed it up. So I was going to teach on the being led by the Holy Spirit, or maybe the first couple leadings of God the Bible discusses, but that won't fit. The Lord just was dealing with me all afternoon, and I thought I could bend it like Beckham and make it fit. I want to teach on the Holy Spirit. So we've been teaching on the Holy Spirit for Sunday nights, and I'm thankful that we don't just talk about the Holy Spirit. We demonstrate Him, and we participate with Him. It'd be horrible to be just a Trinitarian theorist and not have any application. And I've got a lot of preacher friends who believe in the moving of the Spirit. They just don't have it. And I've got to figure out how to help them go from believing to having. And I don't know, it's like I believe in a good marriage, but I don't have one. That's not acceptable. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I just don't have them in my church. Well, that's great believing, but how about we have some having? I believe in good parenting. I'm just not one. Well, then what good is your believing? Uh, in terms of theology, you have orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthopraxy is what you do. Orthodoxy is what you believe. We as Christians emphasize sound belief, orthodoxy, because if it's sound orthodoxy, it will affect your orthopraxy. If you believe it right and you believe it full enough, it will change how you do. If, you're, if it's not changing what you do, you don't have orthodoxy. And probably many of us, myself included, we, we would do well to evaluate where if my doing isn't changed, my believing is not sound enough. And my overall message tonight, I'm a broken record. I'm a one-hit wonder. I do have a record collection. Uh, Jean-Paul Engler who's in his mid to late 70s. He's like, are you even old enough to know what records are, son? And I say, Frenchie, I have a record collection that goes back to the 30s. Yes, I know. I grew up on records. We had little story times. At the P, turn the page, turn this record over. And you turn it over. Remember that, Scudder? We're old enough. We had records. We cut our teeth, literally. We literally cut our teeth on records. And then tapes came out there in the early 80s, and then we had, it, and then, then we had CDs, and, and then what do we have now? Microsoft Zune? Some of you are so young, you don't even know what Microsoft Zune. That was Microsoft trying to compete with the iPod. It lasted for half a season, and then just be belly up, like everything else Microsoft touches. <laughs> I'm a broken record because the Lord still isn't getting out of this congregation what he wants, which is change. And everybody says they want to move with the Holy Ghost, but when you insist on staying the same, he has no, nowhere to move. Because as Pastor Vaughn taught us years ago, the most important thing concerning your life to God is you. He looks at you and I as his children, and he says, I want you better than this. A good father has his hand on his children until they can stand on their own. And they can stand in the Father's discipleship, in the Father's ethics, in the Father's victory, in the Father's mindset. Uh, even, you know, the Scudders here are becoming empty nesters. Emma's been in school now two years. Ethan's about to go off. You know, I'm sure at some point you think, I, I've done all I can do. It's time for them to go. And our Father in heaven looks at us and says, there's things he wants to see us get the victory over. And some of these things I think we're downright resistant to. We don't want to be different. There's, there's got to be an explanation for why God harps on us and harps on us about certain sins, ideas, attitudes, habits. And the reason we're the same is we just have to say either I'm too stupid to know what God's word said, which is not the case because we're not ignorant, or I just am too lazy. That might be possibly it, or I just don't want to change. I don't see the importance of changing. So the problem is when a people frustrate God long enough, he starts looking for new avenues. When, when a, a, a husband or a family or a congregation or a denomination begins to blockade God and his spirit's not able to move, it, it'll back up and find new avenues because you're not going to stop the move of the Holy Spirit. But then again, I don't know why we'd want to anyway. But you need to understand we do totally quench the Holy Spirit when we refuse to submit to his leadings and his changings and his rebukes. We were taught not to quench the Holy Spirit in a service. Yay, great. If one, somebody wants to prophesy, let them prophesy. That's the easiest part of the Holy Spirit, folks. Prophecy is such an easy thing. Tongues and interpretation, incredibly easy. Raising the dead, easy. Getting you and I to change, nigh impossible.
So we were only taught, don't quench the Holy Spirit in the service. Yeah, sure, whatever. Okay, cool, got that. What about don't quench the Holy Spirit in your day-to-day walk? What about don't quench the Spirit in your day-to-day life? What about in your marriage, in your parenting, in your appetites, in your spending? We can quench the Holy Spirit in our mental disposition, in the vain imaginations, in the daydreams that we keep meditating on, in the stupid dreams we keep chasing. You can quench God and waste your whole life and never be different but think, well, I didn't quench God in the spirit. Everybody in service got to run, and I took off running. Everybody got to worship, and I got to worshiping. That's great. This is the docking station. This is where the batteries come, and we plug in. This is important. This is the Lord's Sabbath. We don't diminish it. It's the first set of four commandments. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Don't take my name in vain. That's what we're doing. We're keeping the first four commandments out of the ten right now. But once we're done, we have to go on to the next six. And that's where we have to be led by the Holy Spirit and make sure we don't quench him. So it's a frustrating thing for the Lord to say the same thing and look at us and want to give us victory. And we just are totally resistant to it. We're not beating our debt issues. We're not beating our attitude issues. We're not beating our weight issues. We're not beating our laziness issues, our carnality issues. We're still struggling with porn, still struggling with booze, still struggling with vaping or making out or fornication. Uh, like, How long does it take to get God's standard and say, all right, this is where you want me to do. All right, let's start trying to do it. All right. So it's a frustrating thing for God. And he will be damned up for so long, and then he'll break forth somewhere else. If the dam is going to be defiant, he'll break out around the mountains and just inundate the dam. You and I don't have a right to be the blockade for God. We're to be the avenue, the conduit for him. And so my message tonight is pretty simple. I've probably taught it once 10 years ago or something. As a pastor, I just regurgitate the same message. I'm a shepherd. We just, have we been here before? Yes. I only own so much land to graze upon. There's only so many doctrines to fail God at, so we just make a circuit. I am like Bubba Gump. We will find a thousand and five ways to teach you how to change. In the end, it's just shrimp. But the name of the game is change. This is a believers meeting tonight. We don't have any non-believers here, so why do we need signs and wonders? You're supposed to be the greatest sign and wonder God has. As it is, we point to you, there's a sign, it's a wonder you're still even breathing air. As much as you've been resisting God and staying the same. So we do this, I don't know, every four or five weeks because some folks are just so stubborn and set up on delusion. What's the thing God's dealing with you on? If you need to, write it down. But you don't need to write it down. You already know what it is. So the question again is, how long are you going to stink at this? I would use stronger language, but we're Southerners and it's offensive. How long will you be lame at this? How long will you halt at this? How long will you be blank? porn addict, angry, a Jezebel. How long will you be an Ahab? How long will you be a slanderer? How long will you be a gossip? How long will you be easily offended? How long will you struggle with a spoon addiction? How long will you overspend? How long will you be horrible with your budget? How long will you be a horrible parent? How long? Whatever your thing is, we've all got a thing or two. Do you think God's just happy with this? How long will we sit here and allow Goliath to defile our God and our families. And please understand, whatever your thing is, tonight we're going to call it Goliath. This is not an inheritance praiseworthy in giving it to your children. You're not supposed to give your kids Goliath as an inheritance. You're not supposed to give your kids, if we follow the allegory of David and Solomon, you're not supposed to have any Philistines left to give your kids. As it is, most of us inherit daddy issues. Because our daddies didn't kill Goliaths. They gave them to us. And I've taught you guys ever since we became parents that we say the dumb of McMichael stops with me and the dumb of Thomas. That's my wife's maiden name. She's not a Jezebel, so she doesn't need to keep her last name and hyphenate it. She's not a feminist. I wear the pants in my family. And I iron them too. (laughs) The dumb of Thomas stops with her. We're not giving our kids Goliaths or Philistines as an inheritance. We're not giving them the laziness, the attitude, the insecurity, the fear, the timidity, the obesity, the poor poor money handling. We're not giving them the ignorance. We're not giving them the religion. I'm not giving my kids any stupid that's left in me, any crazy that's left in me. I'm eradicating all that because if I love my kids, 
I give them victory. That's the best inheritance I can give them. We have to understand that God has given us the Holy Spirit for victory. He's given us scripture for victory. If the entire fullness of the Godhead dwells with us through the new birth, and it does, there ought to be some kind of change. You know, if, if you and I, if we get born again into the new birth with this crumpled up car, Jesus coming to live on the inside of us ought to pop some dents. It ought to absolutely pop some dents, change some things, overhaul the engine. People ought to look at us and go, what? Is that you? Even your own family who gave you Goliath as some lame inheritance, they ought to be able to say, it's just amazing what God's done. That becomes the sign and the wonder. It's easy to chase those nut job Bethel signs and wonders. And I'm not for Bethel. They're weird. Let me be very clear. When you grave suck and you promote sorcery, what was the other thing? The school, the witches, they brought in the witch to their Bible school and they promote that staff, the Gandalf staff. Y'all are nuts. They, I saw the video at their Bible school. They brought in some witch with the Gandalf staff, encouraged everybody to go get a Gandalf staff. How about we just read the Roman epistle or Jude? Or if you've got a short attention span, third John. You know, John has three sequels, you know. Oh, we've got to go something stupid and extra biblical. We don't need those signs and wonders, but thank God for We're all for healings and miracles, and we've had some notable ones lately. Miss Crystal Crachunas, when Dr. Jacobs with us, she got he- healed of a heart issue that had been going on for a long time. She'd been very concerned about it. Of course, Miss Crystal's an avid runner. She's 52 now. I think Crystal's 52 or 50, 52. And her heart had been really concerning her, been doing weird things. And so when Dr. Jacobs was with us a few weeks ago, uh, she was just crying out to God. She told me later, she said, the Lord had told her a few months ago, Crystal, she was going to doctors and the Lord said, Crystal, I will heal your heart. So when Dr. Jacobs was here and he was laying hands on the sick and people were falling out and being healed, uh, she said, Lord, what about me? Have you got something for me? And Dr. Jacobs stopped and said, does anybody have a heart arrhythmia here? And she said, that's me. So he laid hands. She said, before he even got to me, my heart started doing weird things. I could feel the anointing ministering to me. And my heart started doing weird things. She said, I fell out. And the next day she went for a run because she runs almost every day. Her mile was a minute faster. And then by the end of the week, it was two minutes faster. And, she, and then Pastor Matt said, and now I can't even hardly keep up with her. I'm always having to suck wind. Why does God have to heal my wife? When we go for runs, she runs two minutes a mile faster now. Anyway, we're all for that great. But all right, so God heals her heart, but what if their marriage is horrible when they go home? What if their money's a mess? What if their kids are going to hell? Church, I plead with you and I plead with you, and I guess we're here again. If you don't get the victory, I can't get it for you. Do you want to die with Goliath looking over your casket? So what are you going to do about it? I have taught you to the nth degree. You know exactly how to conquer anything you want. The problem is, where's the want? You and I have been whoring the mercy and the grace of God, totally abusing it. Just think about how much better our marriages could be how much better our kids could be, how much better our our testimony could be, how many folks could be drawn to us if the thing that God dealt with us 20 years ago, we dealt with 15 years ago. As it is, we still live a slave to some lame Goliath dad gave us or mom gave us. And I preach like this and half of you will come to me or text me and say, that's so good. But you know what? You're not going to do anything about it because you haven't yet. So why would you start now? Well, the mercy of God hopes. Maybe you just need to be passed over. Maybe God says, oh, well, who wants to be used now? This is the reality we live in, church. These are the last days. You got denominations splitting over gay sex. You got spirit-filled churches now splitting over gay sex. I don't even wonder what spirit they're of anymore. You got the other spirit-filled churches who don't deny heterosexuality. They condemn homosexuality, but they're afraid of tongues and the move of the Holy Ghost that made them the denomination they were. And here we are, can't even get you to kill the Goliath you claim you hate. 
How long does it take to change if you want to really change? So let's look here at Samuel. Let's principalize the story of David and Goliath. And maybe, and just for those with a short attention span, we show you a few things you've never seen before. A little sham wow. We ring it out and go, wow, I never saw that before. Yay. And it doesn't do you any good because you're not going to do anything with it later. Though we believe better things of you, though we thus speak. <laughs> First Samuel chapter 17, we know that this is where the nation of Israel has gone out to war against the Philistines and the Philistine champion Goliath, a giant nine feet tall from Gath, Phil, uh, Goliath the Gittite. He comes out every day and he mocks them. We want to begin... In verse 20, David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him and came to this trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. Uh, let's just stop and principalize along the way. The Christian walk is one of perpetual warfare. That's one of the many allegories of the New Testament. We are soldiers. He's our general. He's the captain of the host. We are the host. That doesn't mean hostess at Cracker Barrel. That means army the Lord of hosts. You think he was the Lord of all the servers at O'Charlie's? No. Soldiers. The Lord of heaven's army. I think the New Living Translation calls him the Lord of heaven's army. I like that term. Lord of hosts just kind of like little Debbie hostess. No. Heaven's army. We're the earthly army. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran to the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he came with them, behold, there came up the champion. I like that, the champion. So somebody rose through the ranks of the Philistine army and said, I'm going to be the best. I don't know why that isn't in the similar heart of all of one of every one of us saying, I'm going to be the best. Somebody's got to be the best. It might as well be me. I don't know why we're happy to be like fifth place. That's a hick redneck, toothless attitude in this region. Why, do we, why are we just happy? Remember Pastor Tim taught us about the white stuff on top of chicken poop, which is the Jackson County Gainesboro mindset? That affects all of you because you live in this region. It's a spirit. So what's, what's the white stuff on top of chicken poop philosophy? That is, well, you know what? I may live in a trailer, but it ain't as bad as Bob's trailer. That is, I may be chicken poop, but I'm the white stuff on top of chicken poop. Well, you know what? I may be fifth place, but I ain't eighth place. Why aren't you first place? Even the Philistines had a champion. Who's the champion in your household? Are you men so lazy? Mama's going to do it. Do your kids have anybody to look up to? Do your kids have to navigate their life by somebody else's dad? That would be shameful if my kids found a role model in somebody who wasn't me. It's awfully quiet tonight. All right. I just wonder how long will this army be lame battling the same thing? I have nothing else to give you and nothing else to do for you. Your failure is your fault because you refuse to walk with your God until Goliath is dead. All right, keep reading. Maybe the story gets better. I don't know. Goliath, Philistine of Gath by name, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines. And he spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. Every day, can you imagine, they go back to their trenches. Goliath comes out, beats his shield, and says, who will come out and fight me? And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. That's what he'd say every day. And for whatever reason, that terrified all the men in the trenches, and they'd run further back. Why don't all of them just charge him like ants? Are we so cowardly we can't pull together and help each other beat sin? What a bunch of cowards here in the trenches of Israel. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel has he come up. Let's, do, let's principalize this as our sin. Your sin defies you. It doesn't just defy you, it defiles you. Your laziness, your porn, your shame, your insecurity, your timidity, your attitude, your, your consternation, your tension. Some, some folks are just always ready to fight. I know you can control it because you won't fight me. So exercise some restraint. That thing, whatever it is that we're dealing with, whatever your Goliath is, and you're all thinking about it, it defies you every day. 
and it makes you and I to look the coward in the presence of our God. And it doesn't just defy us, it defiles us and makes us defeated. We're not able to go on. Israel can't go on. You can't back away from this, but you, they're not wanting to go forward. So all of Israel is halted. We're not going anywhere. This is as far as we come in our existence because nobody will take Goliath. And until you take whatever this thing is, please hear me, your life, your marriage, your business goes no further. This is as far as you come. Do you want to peak today? Because you already are. This is your plateau. To speak English, this is your plateau. This is as far as you get to come. The only way to go further is to take victory. And there's always the next giant to kill. So you might as well get good at it. Now listen, we, we're, we're of the church that hates sin. We're not of that weird modernist movement that's, oh, God loves, God loves you and he loves your Goliath. God doesn't love Goliath. He hates Goliath. He doesn't love your sin. So let's be very clear. Your sin is defiling you. Keep reading. It shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches. Let's principalize that. You get the victory over this. Your king will bless you. So I think we're demonstrating by our ignorance, not ignorance because we're not ignorant, by our unwillingness to obey God, we don't want any more of God's blessing. I think we're, we're demonstrating to God, I've got enough of you, Lord. I'm happy with this sin. You've done pretty good. I'm doing pretty good with this cancerous thing growing off my soul. I don't want it. I don't want the riches of the king. No, no, no. So I'm not interested in that. And he'll give him his, the king's daughter. I don't need a better relationship in my life. Please, I, I, I really struggle with this sometimes, but hear me. Sometimes it's better not to date because when you guys date, you get stupid. You get weird. I've tried to tell some of you in private, you don't listen to me because you're morons. 1 Corinthians 7 says, when you get married, you don't have time to serve God much anymore because you've got to be worried about the world how you might please your wife. Well, it's the same thing when you're dating. You take all your time and attention off your Christian walk, and then all of a sudden you focus it on him or her, and you come to a screeching halt in your Christian growth. And you're just pursuing this person out of fear that you're never going to meet somebody again. And so you're going to ruin this whole thing. You're going to train wreck it, just determine, because you're too afraid to be alone for a season. You're afraid. So your motivation for dating is fear. Does that sound like a good foundation for a marriage? Meet, date, court, fall in love, and the launching pad was fear. Doesn't, sounds like a horrible place to build from because marriages don't fix fear. And if you beat Goliath, he'll make you his father's house free in Israel. You, 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 you beat these giants, it brings freedom to your household. Do you hear what we're saying? When we don't get the victory, we say, Lord, I prefer slavery. I prefer to be enslaved. I want my household enslaved. I want my children battling this porn addiction I have. I want those demons ministering to my kids while they sleep. I want this anger that I harbor in my heart. I want it to minister to my kids so that they're little punks and that none of their teachers in Sunday school, VBS, or public school like them either. You don't understand, if we don't get the victory, it enslaves our children. And if you're barely making it with this slavery, what will your kids do with it as the world gets worse and worse? So then what, what becomes your grandkids' inheritance? All they'll know is slavery. Do they go to heaven at all? Do they even get saved? Or do they just go with the flow and live a slavery lifestyle? We have this threefold promise that if we'll kill a Goliath, the king will prosper us. He'll bless relationships. He'll bring freedom to our household. That sounds like a pretty good spiritual allegory for getting the victory over the Goliaths that maraud our homes, our marriages, our soul. Why would you not beat this? Why, why go play games with Goliath? Why go date Gittites? Sounds like a, a fool's errand. Verse 26, David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killed him. They repeat verse 25. So I like what David said. He, he's like, This is not really my fight, but is it worth my effort? Because he's not afraid. Why does it always take young people? 
Uh, Lamentations 3, 327 says, it's good to bear the yoke in your youth. The older you get, the less energy you have. And the harder it is to make changes. The older you get, the less energy you have, and the harder it is to make changes. So the best time to make the change God's commanding is now. Because you delay, the grace lifts a little bit, the anointing lifts a little bit, you got to have a little more energy to do it. And before long, you're just kind of comfortable with your sin and your defeated, broke, hoopty life. The older you get, the harder it is to make changes. One of my friends, he's in his 60s, he, he, he actually resigned his church not too long ago. He said, um, he said, man, pastoring's a young man's game. Whew, I wouldn't want to start this in my 60s. But he was someone who had pastored for decades and had grown his ministry to where as he got older, it didn't need as much of his physical strength. He had raised up the next generation to carry it on, and he was the apostle overseeing it. But if you don't make the changes in your young age, your calling just drifts out to sea. And all you have are memories. You don't want memories. You want actuality. The people answered him, this is what will be done for them. And uh, Eliab, the eldest brother, heard what he spake unto the men. Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the honesty of your heart, for thou art come down that thou might see the battle. David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? And there's always a cause, church. There's always the next battle. With our children, we ask them on a regular basis, sweetie, what are you working on? When I pray with my kids about once a month, or I pray with my kids almost every night. Sometimes we're not able to, but we pray together daily. Uh, but about once a month, I'll say, what are we working on, girls? What's your thing? What's God dealing with you about? Because I want my kids to be used to and not defeated by knowing there's always a weakness in their life. Because if you can keep it in front of you, you never get in pride and you've always got the next thing to aim for. Never be comfortable with a loose snake in your house. I think we've used that example before. If there was a loose copperhead in your house, would you go to sleep freely? If you swatted down a nest of brown recluse spiders, would you be able to sleep comfortably tonight? Some of you are shivering right there. Ugh. No, you'd call in the exterminator. You go get a hotel for a couple nights and you just say, just nuke the whole house. Whatever you got, give me five of them in every room. <laughs> I want my cereal to taste funny for a month. Because <laughs> I'm not waking up with one of those things crawling, crawling into my mouth. God, there you go. <laughs> You wake up and sneeze and a spider comes out. But you'll go to bed with sin in your life every night. You go to bed with attitude, anger, hostility, resentment, porn, lust, unforgiveness, shame, fear, timidity. These are snakes and scorpions. These are spiders. And you're comfortable going to bed with them? How do these Israelites go to bed every night in the trenches knowing that they're cowards and failures? And yet every day they get up, put their armor on, act all pious, religious, and soldier, and stand until Goliath comes forth. Then they pee their pants and go back to their tent. Isn't this a tie? This is an exhausting way to live as a Christian. All right, let's keep reading. And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner, and the people answered him again after the former manner. So he wants to make sure this is what happens. I want to make sure it's worth my time. Church, I don't know what it's going to take to convince you that it's worth your time to beat your Goliath. It's worth your time. Whatever it is, whatever your heart is holding in front of you right now, because I don't know what it is for all of you. It's worth your time. The king's threefold promise is your life will be enriched. Your relationships will be blessed and your household will be free. Why would you not get the victory? Why would you not make the sacrifice except that you think you can just keep manipulating God to bless you as you live any old lame American way you want to? And when the words were, which, uh, the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. Because David said, I'll do it. I just want to make sure it's worth my time. If not, I'm going back to the sheep. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. They figure David was 13, 14, 15 years old. He was just a kid, and here is Goliath, probably twice his height, and has been a man of war, trained in combat since he was David's age. 
And David said unto Saul, your servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear, and he took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him, and I smote him, and I delivered it out of his mouth. And when I, he rose against me, I caught him. <laughs> like that. He caught the lion by his beard and smote him and slew him. Your servant slew both lion, which is plural in the Hebrew, and bears, not one of each, plurality. I have killed lions, and I have killed bears. This lets us know, church, that God has allowed you to get small victories that are all that is necessary to get this next victory. The only difference is motivation. You're just not motivated. You've made bedfellows with your sin. And please hear, it's not a prophecy. It's just biblical fact. This far have you come and no further. This is where all your momentum screeches halt because God's done with reminding us to get victory over the same stupid sin we've been petting for six months, six years, or 16 years. 10 or so years ago, maybe 15 years ago, a friend of mine in his church, one of his um, men dropped dead at a church picnic, heart attack or stroke. Horrific, tragic, in front of most of the church. What I found humorous in a macabre way, was that soon after that, all the men lost weight. How pathetic. How pathetic. How pathetic. How pathetic. How praiseworthy, but how pathetic that it takes the death of a brother to motivate you to do what God dealt with you with for 20 years. You had it in you all along. It just took watching your dear friend drop dead at a church picnic to spark obedience. Maybe it'll take somebody's divorce to provoke, provoke you to save your marriage. Maybe the death of a child to provoke you to be a better father. What is it going to take for us to obey our God? What do we want? Are we, are we this dumb generation of goldfish that has an attention span of less than six seconds? Is that, is that how we are, church? And, and we expect the minister to fix our life in a prayer line. It doesn't work that way. He said, I've killed lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. No big deal. What's next? That has got to be our heart. It's got to be our testimony. I've killed lions in my life. I've killed bears, and I'll kill this unless you've just gotten too old to swing a sling and a stone. And there comes a time. What was that fancy word Molly used? I'm going to text Molly real quick, Molly Gordon. There's a word. It's a word that means there's a moment in time when it's the last time something happens, but you don't appreciate it in the moment because you think it's going to happen again. Because maybe we're living in that moment right now that this is the last chance you have to make this change. And if you don't make this change in this season, whether that's tonight or this week, Goliath's with you to the day you die. This is that moment and you don't even realize it. The Bible would call it the hour of your visitation. Let's keep reading. He'll be just like one of them sings how defied the armies of the living God. When's the last time your sin hurt your family enough it angered you to do something about it? Some of you still fight with your spouse like petty little junkyard dogs. When are you going to fix that? Some of you are still struggling with porn. Don't you realize porn makes your wife feel like a whore? Because she knows she doesn't look like that slut stuff you're looking at. And then when you get done looking at it, you want to go be intimate with her. Do you know how that makes your wife feel? Are you the kind of guy you want your daughter to marry? You want some guy doing that to your daughter? Looking at porn, then masturbating in her? How long are you going to be a porn addict, pervert? How many demons come and go in your house when you turn on that app? Hide it from your wife. Awfully quiet tonight. David said, verse 37, Moreover, the Lord that hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with, an arm, with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail, and David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, 
for I have not proved them. I don't know how to use this. This is wishful thinking. David put them off him, and he took his staff in his hand, and he chose him five smooth stones, and that's what I want to focus on, five. Smooth stones out of the brook, and he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. So even the Philistine has an armor bearer. David is going out there as a shepherd boy. We know the story. He's a 13 or 14-year-old boy, maybe he's starting to get facial hair, maybe not, maybe his voice is cracking, maybe not. And all he has is a little shepherd's bag and a sling, not a slingshot, a sling. They still use them in the Middle East today. The Palestinians still throw them at tanks. I just think it's the dumbest thing ever. And here's Goliath, nine feet tall, and his shield's so big, he has to have somebody come out with him carrying it. And the battle is uneven. And David's got more confidence than all of Israel combined. But we have to keep in mind he has five rocks in his pocket, which is such a testimony of faith. And we'll get to that in a minute because the other four aren't in case he misses. The other four for the escalation that's going to come. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog? Actually, verse 42. When the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. You know, this is offensive. This is who you guys are sending out. You don't have anybody better. For he was a youth and ruddy and a fair countenance. So he was redheaded and good looking. You send me the pretty boy? You send me the, the good looking kid? The dainty one? Am I a dog that you come to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, or David, yeah, said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. That's a lot of weaponry, and all David has is a rock. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver you into my hand. When is that attitude going to activate in our heart? And we look at fear and say, today the Lord will deliver you into my hand. We look at porn. Don't look at it. I'm principalizing here. The, the lust. We get into prayer. We look at that lust in our heart and say, today the Lord will deliver you into my hand. The insecurity, that, that weakness that always falls apart with the least bit of pressure and say, today I beat you. You have come out and rattled your sword against my family long enough. When is that going to happen? Or are you still wetting your britches in the trenches with all the other cowards in the body of Christ? Are you, hey, uh, my, my grandfather gave my father this Goliath, and then my father gave me this Goliath, and, and now it's mine to give to you, like it's a case pocket knife or something. Bunch of retarded believers. We're giving away Goliath like we're proud of it. I was a horrible husband because my daddy was a horrible husband, and now, son, you get to carry on the legacy. Be horrible, wretched, and hateful. When are you going to hold this Goliath in your eyes and say, you are so dead. You just have no idea. With the confidence, because you've been in the wilderness with your God, killing lions and bears all day. I will smite you and take your head from you. I love that confidence. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day into the fowls there. I'm not just going to kill you. I'm going to kill all of you. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all the assembly shall know the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came that David drew near to meet him. He doesn't turn. He runs face forward. This is how we beat this stuff in our life, church. Quit running from it. Quit ignoring it. Quit going to bed early. Stay up late. You and your spouse pray about this stuff. You and your prayer partner, if you're not married, you guys pray together about this stuff daily until it's done. How long will you battle this sin? How long will I have to harp on this same message? How long? David hasted, ran to meet, ran toward the army to meet the Philistine, and David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead. And he fell upon his face to the earth. Now, I believe that probably would have killed him if the stone sinks into the forehead. That's, that's a cranial fracture. You've embedded a rock. I don't think, I mean, if he recovers, he's a vegetable. 
And what we often do is this church, our reputation, so that nobody thinks we're awesome, okay? So we don't get in pride. We are good at repenting for two weeks. We're good at putting that stone in Goliath's head, and then we go and celebrate. But he's not dead. And neither is our sin. We repent. We sling a stone called penitence. For two weeks, we walk softly. And then when the pressure comes off of us because Goliath's laying down, we go back to doing our thing. And at some point, Goliath's going to be aroused. He's going to get up. He's going to stumble. But he's still living. Why don't we follow through to the end? Whatever your Goliath is, why haven't you killed it yet? How come you keep throwing rocks every time a sermon like this happens, but you don't ever knock it down and take its heads off? Why are you still the same weirdo you were 20 years ago? Why is the reputation the same? Why is your marriage the same? Why is your money the same? Why is your health the same? Why can't you beat these things? We're exploiting the mercy of God. We're, we're exploiting him. We're not obeying him. We're exploiting his good nature. We're exploiting his grace. The, God, the Lord won't do evil, neither will he do good. He doesn't really care. He's not. That's just Pastor Chris Harpin again. That's just pastor. That's just pastor. He, he has nothing else to say. He's just harping. You know the truth because you know what your private life looks like. You know exactly that everything I'm saying is dead on accurate in your life because you know how long you've been struggling with this and you've never put it to bed with the sword. So I got plenty of other stuff to say. You just don't qualify to hear it because this is what God wants us to hear. God's not interested in us learning more doctrine if our life's still a mess. What's the point of that doctrine? It's not benefiting us. The basics aren't benefiting us. We're still weird. We're still in our head. We still talk too much. We're too, still, still too philosophical. We're still too lusty. We're still too insecure. We're still too timid. We still try to control our marriage. We yell at our spouse. We put our kids down. You name it. Whatever your Goliath is, that's us. It's time to put that thing to bed. Verse 50, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood upon the Philistine. I think some of us, we would sling the stone, watch him drop and everybody cheer. We run back to the dugouts. The dugouts empty. They hoist us up for he's a jolly good fellow. For he. David's not like us, which is why we need to be like him. He runs and stands on top of the man's body, gloating. Ha ha, yeah. Maybe I would have snatched him by the beard because I did it to lions, you know, and just crack him in the face a couple times. <laughs> Maybe stomp on his face while the Philistines watch. Watch me defile his body. Spit on him. He runs and stands upon this man, this giant man. Don't you know the Philistines are in shock? That little puny shepherd boy just dropped the giant. And he took the sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head. This is what we are failing to do, church. Our church, you guys, you are my sheep. You are my care. We pray for you. My wife and I don't have dates without talking about you. You absorb and consume every ounce of my life. That's why it's offensive to me when you get offended at me. Oh, you said that because you preached that because we talked about it. Shut up, you petty sheep. If you don't know who your friends and allies are, you're a moron. You can't tell who lives for you, who prays for you, who intercedes. You're going to be that petty a human being. Yeah. So here's your testimony. You get convicted like in a service tonight and you'll sling a stone, maybe all eight of them, 20 of them, just start picking up and throwing them, trying to show the Lord you're serious. And if you happen to hit and connect, that's all you ever do. And things turn for two weeks until Goliath wakes up, comes out of the infirmary. Now he's got Mel Pagan's head. <laughs> now he's like Mongo. He's still a problem in your life. Or maybe you just winged him and now he's more angry. We don't ever follow through. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted. They come out of the dugouts, the trenches, and now they cheer. And they pursued the Philistines until thou come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. 
They wounded of the Philistines. The wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to uh, Sharam, even unto Gath and to Ekron. The children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines. They spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. He took it as a spoil of war. We're not done yet here. So your victory affords victory for everybody else. Your victory emboldens people. Your victory becomes a testimony, especially when people can see you get the victory publicly. If you have to tell people you got the victory, you didn't get the victory. If you have to testify, I got the victory. Why can't you see it? I'm different. Why can't you see it? Because you haven't been changed yet. When you take Goliath's head off, we'll be able to see it. And we'll cheer for you. But as long as you stay the same, you're more cookful than you are Christian. You're just church of Christ with tongues. And I refuse to let our church become church of Christ with tongues. Because there's some good church of Christ folks out there. Now, most good church of Christ admit their denomination is pretty mean. They are the snakes Mark 16 says you can take up and handle. They are mean, not all of them. There's some good church of Christ, just like there's some good Pentecostals. Just like there's some good Baptists and then some bad ones too. I refuse to let you, co- you as a congregation become church of Christ with tongues. But that's what this spirit of this region wants to make you. Deceived, deluded. Thinking because you come to church faithfully, you're making the changes God requires in private. So let's answer this question because this is where the challenge really becomes uh, apparent. Uh, turn with me to Second Samuel. If you know the answer, keep it to yourself. Don't be a know-it-all. Nobody likes a, a know-it-all who does it nothing. But we have to answer the question why David picked up five stones when he only needed one to kill Goliath. He demonstrated he's good with a sling and a stone. Now, we know God's going to deliver Goliath into David's hand. You could say that the Holy Ghost directed that stone, but I believe David was skilled anyway. The Bible speaks of these skilled men. They were trained. The horse and chariot are prepared for the day of battle, but victories of the Lord. So you still have to train and prepare. But he, it makes no mistake. The Bible doesn't say he gathered up stones. It says specifically he gathered up five stones. So here in 2 Samuel, we're getting near to the end of David's life. And David's old, but he still likes to go fight. You know, once a Marine, always a Marine. Once a soldier, always a soldier. Once a shepherd, always a shepherd. Here in 2 Samuel chapter 21. And remember, the bigger picture is what kind of inheritance are you going to leave your kids? If you're a gossip and a slander, your kids are going to learn it. If you you got a chip on your shoulder, your kids are going to learn it. If you're a lazy glutton, your kids are going to learn it. We talked this morning about the sheep who are fence walkers. These are the sheep who are never content in the, the pasture that they're assigned to. This is a real allegory from Scotland. They're never content in the, in the field God's given them. And so they walk the fence looking for a hole to go onto the next fence. And shepherds have to find those sheep and kill them so they don't teach their lambs how to escape and teach that wicked behavior to other sheep. So if you're a fence walker, your kids are going to be fence walkers. If you don't defeat Goliath, your kids are going to inherit Goliath. And they may end up hating you for what you gave them. As it is, the more I teach, the more you guys grow up, the more you realize... Actually, I had one person tell me, Pastor, and I took, the, took this as a very high compliment. They said, the more I'm around you and Miss Manda and your kids, the more I realize I was brought up dysfunctional. Now, that's a, that's a testimony that blesses me, but it hurts for them. Pastor, the more I'm around you and Miss Manda and how you treat your kids, the more I realize how dysfunctional my upbringing was. So this is a person who's now having to learn to forgive an offense they didn't realize they had. They realized I was robbed. I was mistreated. I was belittled. Wow. Why did David pick up five stones? Well, he wants to make sure the job is well done, but also we have said we don't want to leave a Goliath to our kids. We're at the end of David's life, and part of David's assignment is to eradicate Philistines. Here we are near the end of David's life. In fact, chapter 22, verse 1 says the last words of David. We don't want to go there yet. But verse 15 says, Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. All right? So David's older. In the first encounter with the Philistines, he's 14 or 15. He is now nearly 70. He's probably his late 60s. 
And David went down and his servants with him, and he fought against the Philistines, and David waxed faint, or David grew tired, because he's in his 60s, swinging a sword, throwing spears and bows and arrows and whatever he's doing. And Ishbibanob, don't name your kid that. He's going to get beat up on the church playground, much less public school. Ishbibanob. I don't know what you call him, Ishi B. It sounds like a street rapper. <laughs> which was of the sons of the giant. The weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of brass and weight. Uh, the, the Hebrew says basically nine pounds was the spear staff. The tip of the spear was a nine pound. That's a big spear. Nine pounds at the end. He being girded with a new sword, he thought he killed David. But he, he was mistaken. But Abishai, that is David's nephew, the son of Zariah, succored him or succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Why could Abishai kill Goliath? Because David taught him how to. If you guys don't get victory, you'll never be able to teach others how to get the victory. If you guys are always quitters and failures, that's all you'll draw to you. You want to draw people to you who want victory. In fact, let's pause for a second because we're going to wrap up with these last couple verses here. So we're almost done. When's the last time you had victory? When, when, what's the last victory you could mark and say, got the victory over that? God delivered me from this. I, we've been praying for this for six years, and sometime in the last six weeks, I just realized it's not an issue anymore. It's just not an issue anymore. When's the last time you can pinpoint victory? Or has, have you just always kind of existed like this? Do you think this is the kingdom is welfare where those that are strong just take care of you the rest of your life? Oh, we're supposed to bear the burdens of one another. When's the last time you got a breakthrough in your marriage, in your health, in your money, in your parenting? When's the last time you received a healing, a promotion? If you've just existed and your life is the same as it always has been, you're not walking with God as you should. Because the walk with God always takes you higher. And David was able to train this Abishai. He was one of his mighty men of valor. He was also a nephew. And Abishai says, don't worry, uncle, I got this. And he slays this man who has this massive spear. And then the men of David swear unto him, saying, thou shalt go no more out with us to battle. Thou shalt not quench the light of Israel, uh, that thou quench not. We don't want you to die, David. And the other, I think uh, Chronicle says, or King says, uh, we don't want the light of Israel to go out. So you stay back. You've trained us well enough. This is like a pastor in his older age letting the younger elders do the heavy lifting for him as he oversees as a bishop. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai, the Hushashite, slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. And we got another giant. Sibachiah, the Hushathite. He must have been another one of David's disciples. Have you got anybody in your life you've taught victory to? Have you got anybody in your life you've invested in who you've taught this is how we kill giants? Anybody in your lineage, giant slayers? Anybody? Are they all still fighting your devils? Quiet on that. The 90s was a real deceptive decade because we thought rolling in the floor meant victory. Some people, all they could do was roll because they were too fat to run. Been a good decade to lose some weight. Still be on the earth. And again, verse 19, there was a battle in Gob with the Philistines where Elhanan, the son of Jeroragim, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. So Goliath had a brother that was killed by a man from Bethlehem, Elhanan. And this, this brother of Goliath, his staff of his spear was as big as a weaver's beam. We're talking, you know, a, weave, a weaving beam that makes rugs. It's a big spear. You keeping tabs on how many giants? It's three. And there was yet a battle in Gath, 
where was a man of great stature that on every hand had six fingers and on every foot six toes. He must have been from Cumberland County. <laughs> Four and twenty in number. And he also was born to the giant. That's four. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath. Why did David pick up five stones? Because there were five giants kin to Goliath. And he's thinking, if I kill Goliath, the others are going to come for me, so line them up. And I can't even get some of you to beat the sin from 20 years ago. And our church is halt and lame because of it. A 14-year-old shepherd boy says, I have heard about Goliath. How can you not? We're under their oppression. I've heard about these five boys, all born to a giant. Must have been a man who had a bunch of concubines because only one of them is called a full-blooded brother to Goliath. But they're all born to the giant. I've heard about these boys. If he loves his brothers, love him like I love my brothers. If I kill him, may have to kill the others. I don't know where they're at. Maybe they're in the trenches. Maybe they're in the tent. Maybe we go five rounds, but I'm taking five stones because if I can kill one, I can kill them all. And I can't even get some of you to take out one. And so we're stuck in array against our personal enemies. And it's unacceptable. So the question tonight, church, is how long will you be a coward before you're Goliath? Some of you have already raised your children and watched them have to struggle with your Goliath. For David, he eradicated his men, eradicated the giants. He totally oppressed and put down the Philistines. The Philistines paid tribute to Israel for over 270 years after this. The Philistines never bothered Solomon, David's son. David's son Solomon never had to deal with the Philistine. Now, David didn't beat other sins that were given fully to David or Solomon like lust and adultery, but at least the Goliaths were all dealt with. So my question is, what are we going to beat? What are we giving to our kids? Are we going to give them poverty as an inheritance? We're going to give them obesity, insecurity, timidity, ignorance, laziness. What are you going to give your kids as an inheritance? And if every one of you would just defeat one Goliath, and maybe he's like a baby Goliath, maybe he's like a midget Goliath, Maybe he's like a Goliath. He's like just a low-calorie Goliath. If every one of you would beat one thing in your life, the church would take a step up. I'm curious as to why it's such a hard sell. Why victory is such a hard sell for church members? We're trying to offer you freedom, deliverance. It just doesn't come in a prayer line comes by you walking with your God, you picking up your five smooth stones, you going out against your Goliath, you slinging your stone, you taking its head and cutting it, or sword and cutting its head off. You get the victory with all the things we give you to do with it. I can't walk with God for you. So how long will your Goliath own you? How long, may we call this, how long will you live under the shadow of Goliath? Do you want your kids brought up under that shadow? At some point, we got to be better people. We're more than able. How long, whatever your insecurity is, your timidity, your addiction, your lust, your perversion, your shame, how long? How long? And the encouraging word, maybe a little, there's always the next giant. But if you killed lions and bears, what are Goliaths? And I love how nobody, there's no big deal made about these other guys dying. It's like, and he killed them. There's more time given to David because he was the pioneer. We have all this detail about David because after that, it's just easy to replicate. Once you kill one, they all fall the same. The problem is you haven't killed one yet. Maybe not at least one in 25 or 30 years. So what will you do, church? I think the word of the Lord is very clear to our congregation. We're done, or God's done watching you live under the shadow of Goliath. You gonna do anything about it or just keep living here? It's going to start to cost. You can't live this way anymore. You're going to start to suffer greater loss. You're going to wonder why. God's God. God. No, 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 no. Goliath. You, Goliath. I don't understand. I do. You're lazy. I don't understand. I do. You're disobedient. You've got to master this. I don't know why people don't want it better. 
I don't know why you wouldn't want to go to war. I don't know why you're happy living with this thing in your house, ruining your marriage, ruining your kids, ruining your money, ruining your testimony, ruining your joy. It's so much better when all the Goliaths are dead. It's so much better when the Philistines are put down and it's time to build a better house for God. And you can do it if you want to, or just keep fighting infirmity like you always have. Keep fighting debt like you always have. Keep fighting insecurity like you always have. Keep fighting lust like you always have. Keep fighting shame like you always have. And just die the same. Thank you. We're not going to do it. It's totally up to you, though. All right, so I don't know how to end encouraging. So let's stand and pray in tongues, because that's how we edify ourselves. <laughs>